Hi, my name is Dr. Andrea Jackson. I am one of the instructional coaches here at Fayetteville Technical Community College. Hello, and welcome to the Fayetteville Technical Community College Center for Faculty Development podcast. I am Ian Wolf. I'm an instructional coach with FTCC and your host for today's episode. In this podcast, we seek to accentuate and celebrate the excellent instruction and instructors here at Fayetteville Tech. I have um, been here about two years now, and I uh, work in the Center for Faculty Development. I am really excited about this endeavor. I am excited about this new initiative on campus. I came to Fable Technical Community College um, as one of the first two instructional coaches that they actually hired uh, with this initiative in mind. And I was truly excited because I knew that I would be on the ground floor of something that I thought was really, really worthwhile. My time here um, has proven that to be true. Uh, I am able to now get some of the satisfaction that I was able to get while I was actually teaching, um, but I'm getting it from another source, which is always a good thing. My passion and passions for teaching and helping others, I am now able to change to a different you know, d- direction. I'm able to change it to a different audience. And I feel really good that I'm still getting that same level of, that same warm fuzzy uh, that I used to get in the classroom. I have been an educator for a little over 20 years now. Um, and believe it or not, that was not my first career. <laughs> I spent 15 years doing something totally different. But I think that, of course, all of our experiences help us to arrive where we end. And for me, I think that my experiences have really helped me and prepared me for this particular position. My interaction with others is guided uh, by my personal life. I'm a mom. I say that first, and sometimes I mommy a lot. Uh, and it's sometimes really welcome and sometimes maybe not so much. But some of the things that I've learned as a parent have really helped me to work with others. Uh, my previous experience um, in the K-12 arena uh, and I did that for a good 20 years. That particular experience allowed me a lot of opportunity to work with students, administrators, parents, and colleagues. So I had a wealth of opportunity to kind of play and to see what will and wouldn't work. I was not a traditional uh, student as far as education was concerned because that was not my initial focus uh, when I started uh, my, you know, my higher education journey. And it ended up being the place that I felt like I needed to be. So once I landed um, in that area, I felt like I was home. And that was a really good feeling. Again, I've had the opportunity, I guess I've been blessed, to be able to interact with a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. And all of them have taught me many of the, I guess, some of the tricks and trades that I've learned. We'll call them strategies uh, that I currently use now when I'm coaching others. I think it started off as mentoring. I would start to mentor others, and that was just a happenstance. I think people would maybe ask me a question, and I would gladly, you know, give them whatever information I had. And people were so receptive to that that I ended up doing it really, really often. I would give my students a lot of unsolicited advice, and they seemed to do very well and would, you know, come back for more. Word got around that Mrs. Jackson was you know, the person to go to if you had a question or a problem or anything, you know, of the above. So 
colleagues kind of started to hear that as well. And they would often ask for my opinion. Uh, my administrators would often put me in a place to help those that were new to education, new to our environment. And I was always willing and ready to help. I never had a problem giving of myself and giving of the things that I had acquired to that point to others. So mentoring became a little second hat. Uh, I started to take the mentoring to a different level when I started helping colleagues with their actual instruction. I saw myself doing that quite a bit. Folks would ask, you know, how did you get here? How do you get your students to do X, Y, and Z? And I would just share my ideas and my thoughts. It also encouraged me to start continuing my education. Um, and so I guess around that time is when I started uh, looking for ways to improve myself. I wanted to know more. I wanted to grow um, as an educator, as a person. And I felt that the way to do that would be to go back and get some more degrees. And that's what I did. So I got a couple of them, and I seemed to catch a bug. Um, so I went and got a, a couple of master's degrees, and I got an educational specialist degree. And I recently acquired my doctorate degree. And I'm very proud of those those degrees, but I'm more so proud of the walk that I took to get them. The information and the experiences that I have gathered and gleaned along the way are priceless. Um, they don't match having that certificate. Those are things that I can continue to use. Those are things that I can impart upon others. Those are things that allow me to continue to improve upon myself. As an instructional coach, I think that I take so many things from my personal life, uh, from my educational journey, from my careers in the past, um, from my experiences as a, as a mom. All of those things rolled into one are how I approach people. Those are the things that I use to determine how I should handle you know, someone, uh, the advice that I give, the empathy and the sympathy that I bring to the table. Those are things that I I don't see people teaching that quite as well. I think coaching is one of those positions that you kind of have to have a knack for it. You kind of have to have um, a feel, just like being in education. Uh, I think it's important that you have that empathy for others, but I think it's most important that you're able to step outside of yourself and your own personal beliefs. I am a big advocate for seeing the other side of the coin. I'm a big advocate for seeing what someone else or how someone else views something, especially if their their view differs from my own. I'm always the proponent for, well, let's look at it from the other side. That's not always received <laughs> greatly, but it's something that I, I strive to continue to do because I feel that we all have to have some level of appreciation for ideas and feelings and opinions and perspectives that may be different from our own. Um, I've always taught that way. Um, I teach my own children that, and I literally use that same mindset uh, with colleagues and friends. Um, in order for us to all get along, I think it's super important that we have the ability to at least hear and acknowledge that there's a different view in the world that might be a little different than our own. I'm not necessarily telling everyone that they have to agree you if someone disagrees with them, but it's really important to know that that coin has two sides. That point on empathy is one that many of the guests on this podcast have talked about yeah. and it, it being identified as a central component to both good teaching and you and I have talked mm -hmm. at great length about how empathy is so significant to being a good coach. How might someone who says, 
I, I, I don't have that. I don't have that gene. I don't have that switch in my brain or my heart or my soul or whatever, mm-hmm. right? How might somebody work to cultivate empathy? I think that that particular gene, if we will, um, if you don't already come hardwired with it, I think that that's going to be something that you'll have to really work hard at. I think it's going to be a little bit of a stretch, to say the very least. I think that it could come from maybe some some basic exercises in, you know, listening to others, focusing on, you know, what that other side of the coin is, trying to put yourself in their shoes. You could actually maybe even shadow someone who is supposed to be, you know, maybe a good empath and maybe try to pick up on some of those things because I almost feel like you have to channel that. I don't think it's something you can learn out of a book. I don't think that it's something that we can give a ditto sheet. And as long as you complete one through 10, voila, you are now an empath. I don't think that that's exactly how it works. I am a big proponent of experiences. Life teaches us so much. And if we are lucky, we are able to use those lessons um, in some type of positive way to affect others. So I would really say that if someone doesn't necessarily have that trait, that there are probably some ways to reveal or encourage, you know, that person to kind of go in that direction. But I I do still think that it's something that has to happen. Uh, It has to be some type of germane type, you know, feeling that happens. It has to be something that happens kind of organically. I can't force that on you. (laughs) But maybe even being aware that you're not the biggest empath might be a great place to start. Yeah. And you and I have spoken at great length already. Uh, I'm going to use that phrase a lot about the power of metacognition, right? Okay. Thinking about your own self. And so if you are able to reflect on your own experiences and identify, I'm really not very good at empathizing with people. Right. Okay. Knowing that about yourself now can give you a target. Uh, something else you kind of related to that, you were talking about using that empathy to offer the opposite side of a thing in in and i'm gonna i'm gonna show my nerd stripes here the the shakespearean concept of being inu tramque partum arguing both sides of the question it was originally considered a a means of demonstrating how clever and how smart you could be as a literary genius right Mm. but as an instructional coach, mm-hmm. you practice inu tramque partum constantly because you've got somebody sitting across from you saying, I don't know, man. The the students, they just – they don't do the reading. <laughs> and I say that disparagingly, but that that is a legitimate – that is a legitimate thing that we hear all the time and Definitely. it doesn't negate the fact that the person feels that. And then on the flip side, you say, now hold on a minute. If they're not doing the reading, why not? Exactly. Right? Let's examine that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm, I'm giving a very specific application here to kind of lead to a much broader question of what do you see as the role of an instructional coach? Okay. So we're both English majors. Uh, <laughs> we both come from that world. And I guess it does, you know, mean if you can explain that coin on both sides and you can explain that debate and you can take both sides uh, in, a, in your position and explain them away well, um, I do think that that does give you a little bit of a notch up because you're able to see, you know, both sides of an issue. Applying that to coaching, I think that having that ability or having um, that tendency to see both sides of an issue allows me to put myself in a more empathetic position with an instructor or someone I'm coaching. It allows me to help guide them see what is the other side. Why is it that you're not seeing this particular part? Um, And that is something that I have really finagled pretty well over the years. 
I, again, I put everything on my mommy, you know, as, what do we do to show our, our, our kids, you know, where they may have gone astray. Um, and so I, I try to do that, but I, I have a way of doing that that is not, it's not accusatory. Um, I normally offer that other side as a consider this. I ask questions and I normally uh, coax that person into seeing it themselves so that they can see it. Not me telling them that you are this or that, but for me to encourage them to come to a conclusion that they have come to on their own, because that's the only way any transformation can happen. There has to be some level of self-reflection. They have to be able to have some ability to take, I guess, control or have some type of autonomy in, you know, whatever decision it is they're making. If that does not happen, then there's no transformation. It does me no good to just talk to an individual and tell them what I think that they've done wrong. That means absolutely nothing. Those are just words coming out of my mouth. What does need to happen is what we say about feedback. Um, there needs to be, you know, positive and constructive feedback given in every coaching session. Um, I need to be able to identify some things that are going in the right direction, and I need to be able to identify something that maybe we need to focus on or maybe something where there's some work that needs to be done. And I, like I said, have found a way to do that that doesn't threaten my colleagues, that makes them feel that I'm actually listening to them, which for many of us, that's kind of all we need. Sometimes we just need to be able to say something aloud once we say it aloud, then it kind of takes a different a, a different turn, and we, we are now able to look at it from a little bit of a different light. So I really pride myself on being able to do that. So what I'm hearing is that the role of an instructional coach is to facilitate transformation. That would yeah. be my end goal. Okay. At all times. Speaking to your own transformation, mm-hmm. right, your own development mm-hmm. as an expert pedagogue, mm-hmm. somebody who, who guides and supports instructional excellence on this campus, speak, if you don't mind, a little bit to the role of continuing your own education and how that has influenced your educational philosophy. I came into education, I guess, from the side. I was actually um, a lateral entry teacher when I first entered into education, and I did not feel equipped, you know, to, to come in and actually take on this job. So what I did, I kind of, well, you fake it till you make it. That's what I did initially. Um, I, I took all those education courses that they told me to take. And what I realized is that I was driving myself by the seat of my pants initially. I was coming in and I was using instinct and, and gut feeling and my mommy stuff. Mm-hmm. That's where I was coming from initially. But I also realized that in order for me to be an effective instructor and to have the influence that I wanted to have and to help my students arrive at the, the goals that I needed them to arrive at, I had to better myself. I had to to sharpen that knife. I had to sharpen my skills and to make sure that not only was I going in the right direction, but that I knew why and how I was going to get there. Because taking a stab at it is not quite enough. I needed to know for sure what are those best practices? How do they look? How do they sound? How do they feel? And so I was very adamant about professional development. I was very adamant about learning all that I could. I sought knowledge wherever I could find it. And in order to continue on that quest, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I furthered my personal education. And again, it was not to have the degrees. It was for the information that I gleaned along the way. Um, and every one of my degrees, I was able to gather some information that I had no idea that I was going to get. That was the true beauty of seeking development, seeking growth. I picked up a lot of stuff along the way that I just had no idea that I would be exposed to. And I think that overall that allowed me 
to continue to look at myself, um, to work on those transformational aspects of my personality, uh, my professional, you know, perspective, um, my approach, just basically the way, you know, I handle people. I've always looked at myself as a coach. Um, I've actually coached cheerleading for years. And some of the exact same tactics that I use when I'm coaching someone with instruction is the same thing I would do then. I'm very supportive. I'm going to be your hardest critic, but I'm probably your biggest supporter. I'm a coach in the classroom. When I'm teaching, I don't water down my expectations for anyone. I make sure my students can meet whatever level I need them to meet. By hook, crook, or steel, I'm going to get you there. Um, and I think that that was something that I prided myself on, but I also feel like others noticed that. They knew that no matter what the situation, I was going to go the extra mile. I'm going to, like I said, drag everybody over that finish line. And for me personally, it wasn't necessarily something someone said, this is what you have to do. But I knew that feeling when you get someone across that finish line, I knew what that felt like. I knew what it looked like and I knew what it meant. It wasn't for the accolades. It was for that warm fuzzy I got. And that was everything. Hmm. And I now can get that when I'm speaking with a colleague. Um, I can get that same warm fuzzy when I help them or drag them across that finish line. I really feel inspired to continue to go on. Buried in a lot of what you were talking about is this balance between being nurturing as well as being demanding. And and very often people you'll hear as as and I'm sort of sharing this for the audience, mm-hmm. we hear I'm not going to coddle my students. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be sweet and gentle and kind because that doesn't prepare them for the real world. And then you also hear on the flip side, I love my students. My students are my best friends. I tell them all the time that I love them. We don't actually hear those exact <laughs> phrases, by the way, right. folks. I'm, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but you are describing carrying both of those at the same time. What would you say, how would you guide somebody who wants to live in both of those worlds, being supportive while also being incredibly demanding? I would say to walk a day in my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I am very demanding of friends and family alike. I was very demanding in the classroom. My students knew that I took no less than their best version, period. That's what you're going to need to bring because there's enough people out there in the world to knock you down, blah, blah, blah. You're going to give them everything you've got. You're going to be the best version of yourself. But I find myself having that same position when I'm working with a colleague. I'm here to help you be the best version of yourself that you can be. I might be a little tough. My expectations may seem a little bit high, but I'm going to be that person that's going to hold you all the way up, all the way through, whatever. So it is definitely a balancing act. Um, I think I've been doing it for quite a long time. So that I I do have a pretty good way of holding those two, you know, those, those two sides up. But I would definitely say that I am very demanding, very high expectations, but I'm also going to be that person to help you get across the finish line. I'm not going to demand something of you and walk away and ask you to do it on your own. So I really try to stand in that gap when I feel I'm going to, to, to demand that level from you. Trust I'm going to make sure that you can do it. And Andrea, you and I have worked together for a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for holding me to a standard of excellence, helping me see the other side of my questions. For those who don't know, she and I, Andrea and I, uh, see the opposite side of a great many concepts. We we approach instruction from a lot of different ways. And working alongside Andrea has been one of the most instructional experiences that I have had where 
I walked in and all of my prior experiences had hailed Ian as this great teacher. And I walked in and the first, some of the very first experiences I had was, that's nice, but. (laughs) And and so that sounds, oh gosh, that's a blow to your ego. But good teaching is a vulnerable experience. And so I encourage anybody who might feel a little daunted by that experience to know it hurts to have a Band-Aid ripped off, but gosh, that sucker's got to come, doesn't it? Yes. It's got to get pulled off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what might you say as sort of a final question? What mm-hmm. might you say to somebody who is terrified of this idea, uh, stepping into the instructional coach's office and sure. all the baggage that comes with it, all sure. the assumptions of deficiency, all of the views from your peers or your administrators sure. who automatically associate the center with subpar instruction? Oh, my goodness. Okay. That kind of hit low, but I do understand what you're saying. So mm-hmm. that is part of, I guess, coaching in general. That's, that's part of the bag. As a coach, you know, we always have to worry about being perceived, you know, in that manner. The first thing that I would say is, thank goodness that FATEC has a center uh, for faculty development that is designed and is set up to receive all faculty at any level that they are, have been, will be, any of the above. And, you know, there's a, there's the concept that whatever you need, we have. Okay. Whatever you need, however you need it, we have it here. So I really, really think that that's a great place to start because you're not just dealing with this one person with all of that baggage attached. At the same time, part of being a coach, and again, this is something that I've done for years, is making sure that anybody in my presence understands that I have their back. That's something that you get from the very verse, you know, the f- first time that you speak with me. Everybody doesn't agree or go with vibes and the energy and all of that. But I think that people have intuition. I think people do get vibes when they first meet someone. They do, you know, get a judgment call as to whether they want to continue this or not. And I think that I have been fairly lucky maybe over the years that somewhere in that first initial contact, that is solidified. They might see that oh, she's going to be a piece of work, <laughs> but at the same time, she's going to help me get wherever it is I'm trying to go. So I do think that I have been a person that conveys that warm fuzzy from the beginning. It may not be easy, but I'm going to get you there. I'm going to drag you hook, crook, or steel over that, you know, that, that threshold. I have told many colleagues, we're here to make sure that you show up with the absolute best version of yourself. For whatever reason you're here, we need to show them, whoever them is, that you're the bomb.com. What do we need to do together to work this out? I let folks know that this is, this is a us, not a me. It's an us thing. We're going to work together. We're going to do this together. And I think we're going to succeed because I know I can do it for you. Can you do it for yourself? And so with that type of mindset, I just don't think that there's anything that, you know, we can't help. I just I just don't think that, you know, sometimes I've had people approach me, maybe a supervisor and, you know, pretty much say there's somebody that I have that just, oh, my goodness, I'm just afraid they're beyond repair. And my first response is, well, let me have a whack at it. (laughs) I don't think they're beyond repair. If someone's willing to meet me halfway, I mean, I got you. I'm grateful for the center and I'm grateful for that opportunity to be able to continue to spread the love. (laughs) Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for your time. And Andrea, thank you for all that you've done to help me. No problem, Ian. I appreciate you. 
If you or someone you know would be a great guest, please let us know. Head over to the Center for Faculty Development page of the FTCC website to fill out our recommendation form. We'd love to hear your ideas. On our site, you can also get an idea of all the different services the Center offers. So please, reach out if you see a place where we can support you and your teaching. Our music is Sunshine Fanfare by Richard Mead. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, good teaching is universal. <laughs>